imagination and your sense of reality and your sense of who you are in the world fuses with the experience. And that is the immersion. Bienvenue and welcome to Cirque du Sound, a sonic trip brought to you by Cirque du Soleil, where we examine the origins of creativity with some of today's most forward thinkers, doers, and creators. My name is Michel Labrise. I'm the creative guide at Cirque du Soleil, the happy director of a couple of our shows. At Cirque du Soleil, you know the ideas for our shows, the concepts, the stories, they really can come from anywhere. Our creative inspiration might come from disciplines and fields such as astrophysics, technology, anthropology, space exploration, ecology, history, art and music, and our interactions in our everyday lives. Today on the show, we're going to dive into the idea of immersion and presence. Right now, in the background, you're hearing the music of O by amazing composer Benoit Jutras from Quebec. O is inspired by the infinity and the elegance of water's pure form, and it pays homage to the magic of theater. It's written and directed by Franco Dragon, past amazing, amazing humanist and artist, and his core team of the time. The show pays tribute to the beauty of the theater, from the simplest street performance to the most lavish of operas. It's a world where anything is possible and where the drama of life plays itself out before our eyes. Rain falling on the waves, a ripple expanding across the surface, the sound of the ocean from underneath the water. How often do we question our perspective? In what ways are we immersing ourselves in the present? In our constantly changing world that sometimes appears to be evolving faster than we can comprehend, what does it mean to be present? And while our attention is constantly being pulled in so many directions, what does it mean to be immersed? To help me get into this, I've called in an incredibly creative individual and a friend who has spent a lot of time thinking about these particular questions. Félix Lajeunesse from Félix and Paul Studio right here in Montreal. Félix's journey into the world of immersive storytelling began in the middle of the 2000s when he co-founded the Montreal-based creative group Félix and Paul Studios the world-renowned reference now in VR experiences, and he did that alongside collaborator Paul Raphael. The duo embarked on a mission to harness technology to create emotionally resonant narratives that would transport audiences 
into new dimensions. From the very first outer space virtual reality experience with NASA on the International Space Station, to a virtual guided tour of the White House with Barack and Michelle Obama, to behind the scenes and on-stage virtual reality experiences with Sergio Soleil, Felix and Paul's dedication to pushing the boundaries of technology and art has kept them at the forefront of innovation and immersive cinema. In a rapidly evolving technological landscape, Felix Lajeunesse continues to lead the charge in immersive storytelling. His passion for merging art and technology has redefined the way we experience narratives, breaking down barriers and inviting audiences to step into new worlds. As he pioneers the future of storytelling, La Jeunesse reminds us that the human experience can be enhanced and enriched through the power of creative innovation. With each new project, he challenges us to see the world through a different lens. It inspires a generation of creators to explore the uncharted territories of immersive media. Félix La Jeunesse, welcome to Cirque de Sound. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me and thanks for this inspiring intro. <laughs> so, Felix, my first question, can you please introduce yourself? And if you will, please explain to us what virtual reality and immersive technology mean to you. So I'm the co-founder of Helix and Paul Studios, and I'm the creative director of the studio. So from the moment we started, when we were only two individuals, up until today, where we're a team that is ever-expanding, We're currently more than 70 people, so the studio has uh, evolved quite a bit in the last decade. I've led the charge on the creative front and to deciding which project we're going to do from who we will partner with to how we will develop our own original intellectual property and our own creative projects. And I direct most of our projects at the studio. And when I don't, I act as a creative supervisor on someone else's work. But I'm involved heavily with everything creative. Which is important to me because even 10 years after, I still consider virtual reality an emerging medium, mm -hmm. an emerging form of human expression, an emerging art form. There's a lot to be figured out and every single project is a gigantic opportunity for learning. And I, I, I want to learn. And so I'm, I'm involved creatively because it makes me grow and it consequently makes my studio evolve faster. So I'm, I'm sort of, it's kind of a symbiosis and I don't want to be extracted from it, you know. I, I share the joy, your joy. So you've been a pioneer at your young age. Uh, you've been a pioneer in, in merging creativity and immersive technology because you know, great things with uh, Fix and Post Studios, it's, it's, it's never about technology. Technology is really a, 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 a tool. You guys are artists. And you, we can feel it in every step of your process and in the way you talk about it. But can you please describe that, that evolution for us and, and how you perceive the evolution of creativity in the context of rapidly advancing technological tools? Absolutely. So it, it comes from a place originally where I was a filmmaker doing traditional cinema. And I, I was bored with it to some extent. I felt that the language of cinema, which is extremely rich, it's a beautiful, rich, you know, 100-year-old-plus art form, it continues to evolve. But some, somehow I felt that the codes of cinema, the language of filmmaking, was 
limited, was something that I, I could not sort of go all in into and find a full range of what I wanted to express in that medium. And I started thinking, well, maybe it's not filmmaking, maybe it's theater, well, maybe it's opera, or maybe it's something else. And I was kind of looking out and I was at that time doing a lot of commercial work as director with Paul Raphael. And we were talking about that all the time because he felt exactly the same. And we were trying to rationalize what is it that we're actually seeking. And we started to touch on this idea of what is it that cinema doesn't really allow us to experience. And it's that sense of really transcending completely into the story and fusing completely with the experience. Uh, cinema relies on a principle of empathy. You see somebody on the screen and at the beginning of the story, you're not interested, but as the story evolves, you start to fall into the world of the storytelling and, and the evolution that characters are. And eventually you're, you're sort of in the world after 20 minutes, right? But you remain in your living room and that story happens beyond the, the, the silver screen. And there is always a separation between the two realities that remain, even if the storytelling is absolutely brilliant. You know, th that separation will always remain. And, and we felt, can we transcend that? Can we, not just in terms of transcending the screen, but can we feel a sense of fusion with the emotions of the story? Can we be the ones experiencing them, not through empathy, but through directly being exposed to the emotional modulations of the story? And how does that work, you know? And, and that research gradually led us to virtual reality after years of experimentation and sort of research and, and development and conversation. So we came at it out of a quest for presence, you know, and that is what we were seeking, this idea of establishing presence through a media experience. That was sort of the holy grail for us. And then once we started to understand how to use technologies to create those experiences, then we felt that we had an interesting set of tools, but we needed to really know how to use these tools, you know, and how to tell stories within that medium. And can we even tell stories in virtual reality? Is presence something that can fuse with the traditional codes of storytelling? Mm. Or do we need to rethink those codes, you know? Mm. And started this 10-year quest in which we're still heavily invested into. So it didn't start by, oh, there's this new technology, VR, we want to play with it. So what no. were the other attempts before VR? I'm curious. Well, before virtual reality, we were looking into how to create holograms, you know, life-size holograms of people that you will see in a space and you will have the impression that somebody's really there. At the time, we started playing with 3D stereoscopy. You know, when you yep. think about a 3D movie, but we thought maybe there's a way to film a 3D movie where you actually capture a human life size and you control the way you project that in, an, in a, a projection room so that the human is there in front of you life size, you know? So if you remove the language of close-ups and wide establishing shots that you have in cinema, and if you shoot for everything to be absolutely life size, maybe we can create the illusion of pure presence. It's, uh, yeah. So interesting. And so, and how was your first experience with VR? What was it exactly? So the first thing we ever did was we wanted to find out to which extent we can capture a human and feel the presence of a human in a way that gets us close to what it feels like in reality. Because we need to consider something. We have evolved for, what, two and a half million years on this planet. 
with each other, right? And so we have a way to feel other people that is quite powerful, you know? It's millions of years of evolution of human interaction. And when you have somebody in front of you, for most people, you can tell if that person is lying, if that person is honest, if that person is trustworthy. You feel the body language of the person, you feel the vibe, you feel the, some people see the aura. I don't know how that works, but there's, a, there's a, an incredible depth to our capacity to connect individuals yeah. to individuals. And when, when you see somebody on a screen, there's the abstraction of the screen and somehow you lose a lot of that, right? In cinema, you lose a lot of that. You kind of have to recreate it through storytelling, you know, into revealing a character so that eventually you can identify to the character. But that will never equate a real life experience of having a human in front of you, you know? And we were thinking if we can get the concept of filming a human being right and showing it right, maybe we can reproduce through a cinematic experience, the feeling of being with a real person. And then we'll kick in inside of the, the viewer's brain the same response that they would have not watching somebody on a screen, but watching or being with a human in real life. You know, the first project we ever did, we actually went into a church because that was free. Uh, we put a camera down behind a bench and we asked uh, a woman uh, that we had met on the street and we said, hey, do you want to be in the movie? We have like $50 to give you. Um, and it was just a wild casting. And we asked her, it's going to be very simple. Please just sit next to the camera in that church. And after 30 seconds, just turn and look at the camera. You know, it was just a test. And we spent about seven months trying to post-process that so, because that became the first ever 3D 360 virtual reality shot ever made, right? But we did that in 2012 and we didn't really know what that was or how to name this, but we were kind of trying to get just one shot right. But it was it was to be seen on a screen or in a in a in a headset in a very early version of a virtual reality headset which was called the Oculus DK1 at the time there was 900 of those in the world. And so we ordered one of those. That's in 2012 wow. and We had that very primitive device and we were trying to film something that could go in there. So no one had done it? You said it was the first... Yeah. So what was, what were people using the, the headset for? Video games, mainly. Video games. And then no one had thought to do real, real action filming. You guys went through that. Wow. So just to tell you that that image, that simple image of a woman sitting yeah. next to the camera and looking at you, it just created a huge reaction. Everybody we were showing this to in our artistic community here in Montreal. And then after that, we went to the US and started to meet people. We were just showing that shot. But the power of having a life-size human sitting next to you, you can feel the bench. Everything is at the distance where it should be because it's stereoscopic 3D 360 and it's well executed. And that person doesn't look at the camera, looks at you directly in your eyes. Right, because the lenses are gone, the technology is gone. I mean, the point of what we're doing in the end is that the technology just completely dissipates, right? And you're just a person inside of a of a world, inside of a story world, and you're evolving in there. So the contact, that connection of the eye to eye gaze, yeah, was so powerful, so powerful. And then everybody was telling us the same thing, which is, well, this is not cinema. You guys are onto something else, but that doesn't. It's another medium. It's another form of human expression. You guys go ahead and explore that because that's very powerful, you know, and that was, that was the feedback we were getting at the time. But you have to keep in mind that it was not an industry. Like in 2012, there was not a way to make a living doing that. You know, we were making a living doing commercials for television. 
but we were not making a living doing that, whatever that was, yeah. you know? But we thought, let's start to put money out of making commercials. Let's shave 30% of that and put it into trying to sustain ourselves doing that exploration of early cinematic virtual reality because it's so powerful and interesting and, and, and taps into what we've been seeking all along, which is that, that recreation, that illusion of pure human presence, right? It's the human and contact that, because the viewer the, is yes. always like looked at, acknowledging oh, yeah. of the viewer. And, and I know that in all the work I've, I've seen you do is like, what, there's always this moment where someone looks at the viewer and it, something happens. Absolutely. So you're always doing that. That it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate, uh, interested about the first work of people. And you can all often read that first intention in all the ways they do for things. So it's always that woman looking at us, right? That you translate mm -hmm. into different versions. You know, right after that initial uh, demo, we, we used that demo to convince Patrick Watson at the time, uh, yes. Montreal artist, to do a more developed piece with us, you know, which is about sitting with him inside of a studio while he's writing music. And that really became the first piece we released. Really? You know? I didn't yes. know. It's funny because I was talking about that last week to someone about the creative process that like you feel naked and stuff and you convince him to, to, to let you go in his room at his piano, not singing a song that he was mastering, but in the middle of a process of creating a new song. And it, it was hard for him, right? But it was such a great creative decision because you really are immersed into that so intimate a moment of, of creation. If you see somebody performing, if I sit in front of you and I perform a fully formed piece of music, am I being very vulnerable? Am I being really like sort of revealing myself? Not necessarily, because I can be inside of my musical persona and I perform so I'm powerful you see what I mean but if I'm writing music I'm full of cracks you're like I just I'm full of openings yes. you know I'm like I make mistakes every single second I phone rings like things are messy the creative process is messy and 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 that was more what we were interested from a human standpoint yeah. you know to observe than somebody perform a finished the contact uh, is more intense yeah. because you don't control every aspect it was it was something challenging for him right Yeah, yeah. And, and we got a, a lot of help at the time. Uh, we were close to two artists in Montreal called Chris and Matchek, who are great uh, animators and directors. They were in love with what we we're doing. They were trying to convince Patrick to be on board because think of it at the time, there was no industry. Yeah, yeah. So he was asking us, where is this going to go, guys? You know, I'm a serious musician. Like, why would I spend a day with you? What is the future of this? We said, just trust us. It's going to be great. You know, <laughs> there's nothing to say now, but things are going to happen. And it turned out that it worked beautifully. Yeah. And a, a fun story about that is that just to tell you about the power of that presence, you know, we at, with Strangers with Patrick Watson, that first piece, we traveled to Los Angeles. We started showing that to the Steven Spielbergs of this world because everybody in L.A. was super interested about that new medium. But they wanted to look at this medium, not from a video game perspective, but from a storytelling perspective. How does cinema translate yeah. into virtual reality? And there was us doing that, and there was just nobody else. So we would we would get uh, called into showing, you know, it's like, hey, I heard about your work that you did. Can you come and show it to us? And an interesting story is that we showed this the piece with Patrick Watson to Colin Trevorrow, who's the director, which was named to replace Spielberg in the Jurassic World franchise. And Colin Trevorrow watched the piece, and then he removed his headset, and he said, wow, could you guys do the exact same thing 
but replace the musician with a dinosaur. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I thought, well, that's a, I got it. I immediately got what he meant. You know, can we experience a sense of intimacy and proximity with an animal that, that inflates the imaginations of humans, which is a dinosaur, right? And can you make it feel like for the first time ever, you're with a creature in an intimate setting and that you have some sort of relational connection with that creature? You know, can we achieve intimacy? And his point also was, in a film, you don't have time to do that. Like a Jurassic World movie needs to go so fast, you know? So can we land in a moment with a creature and establish a connection, you know? And this is what the first big Hollywood project we made was that, you know? But but based on the humanity of the Patrick Wesson piece, which is kind ah, of surprising, yes, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Really amazing. I, I will say this in regards to uh, humility. If you're not humble, you're dead. And it, because it, you're... Think about even Cirque du Soleil. You guys have a profound history, but the history of Cirque du Soleil is anchored into the history of circus, right? Which is anchored into older forms of storytelling. And so each storytelling art, major discipline of storytelling today is anchored into a profound history, yeah. right? Yeah. There's And when you get to virtual reality, the roots are not going really far into the soil. Yeah. Things <laughs> are like, you can feel yeah. the roots are like, you know, you could argue that there's a bit of theater inside of virtual reality. There's a bit of cinema. There's a bit of dance. There's a bit of architecture, whatever. Yeah, yes. Of course, all of that is true. But the, the core medium itself is so young that you need to put your focus not on being complacent about what you've accomplished, mm. but on being very humble that you don't know that much, you know, and you need to keep your mind very flexible to learn all the time. Learn, 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 and never take anything for granted, you know, and that's really, I would say, if you don't have that attitude, you should not be working in immersive, emerging media like that because you're going to find that distressing. Do you see what I mean? Yes, totally. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Felix Lajeunesse. Just a quick reminder, you're listening to Cirque du Sound, a brand new podcast from Cirque du Soleil looking at the interdisciplinary roots of creativity. Fans go first. Whether it's early access to seasonal deals or pre-sales, pick your tickets before everybody else. Sign up for Club Cirque today and you'll be the first to hear about access to special events, pre-sales and discounts. Take a look behind the curtain and enjoy up-to-date news on all things Cirque du Soleil, including shows, artists and latest innovations. Visit CirqueDuSoleil.com to subscribe. My name is Michel Laprise. If you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll tell your friends about us and leave us a review. I would love to hear from you. The term immersive, okay, we've heard it. It's become uh, more mainstream over the years. There's not a day that I don't hear that word, but its interpretation can vary a lot. How do you think the meaning of immersive has evolved and, and what key elements make an experience truly immersive for an audience? I like to think of immersion using the analogy of dream or sleeping. You could say, I'm going to sleep, and you could sleep very superficially, right? There's a noise in the room, and it's going to, like, your eyes are going to open up. Like, there, your cat walks into space, and boom, you're fully awake, right? That's superficial sleep. Mm. But you can go into deeper forms of sleep, right? There are, there are layers of that. I'm not a specialist, but I 
heard enough podcasts about it. Um, and you can get to deeper places where the sleep is so profound that you're tapping into your unconscious mind, right? And a lot of extraordinary things are starting to happen inside of your brain. And those things, those phenomenons that are happening can actually impact you in a very profound way, right? They can change you. They can change your perspective. And they're like a profound kind of almost therapy, right? Uh, and But how do you get to that deeper level of sleep? And I, I think of immersion sort of like that. Right now, I'm immersed in this sound box, right? Like I went here to get better sound. So I'm inside of that space. So that's the first superficial level of immersion, right? So that's why a lot of thing wears the immersion label, because as soon as you take somebody and bring that person in a space, theoretically, they're immersed in that space, right? Superficial immersion. But if you start telling an immersive story, and the story is built almost like a ritual, you know, where you're trying to get the viewer to gradually transcend into deeper level of immersions. It's almost like going into deeper layers of sleep. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and when you yeah. go to deep immersion, then something happens in the human mind, which is very profound, which is that you, you are so connected to the experience that your imagination and your sense of reality and your sense of who you are in the world sort of fuses with the experience. And that is deep immersion. I prefer to call it presence, like a full state of presence. I find that to be more elegant and more relatable somehow as well. Because every, everybody knows what presence is. We all are present, yeah. you know, in our, in our bodies. People who do meditation will have a different take on presence, you know. They will see the different steps of presence. Mm -hmm. But I like that concept more than the word immersion. But the fact is, regardless of the word we use, it's all about transcending into deeper layers of, of it. You know, that's what I try to do as an immersive storyteller. It's almost like you're almost more like, um, it's a weird way to put it, but it's more like you're almost like a shaman, you know, that tries to take people and transcend them to more than traditional storyteller, you know? I, th I think it's, it's all in the invisible and the emotion that is shared. This is all related to the presence of the person that broadcasts or links, like the shaman or artist, like a high wire artist is a shaman. Because mm -hmm. he's, he's mm -hmm. the, the way he's, he's, he's expressing life and the presence of death and stuff connecting with the consciousness that people are looking at him. High wire artist training is something. High wire artist performing, like with the consciousness of the other humans. It, this is what makes it so, 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 and so hard to capture. Like yeah. all the movies, experiences that we've, We've done the past really hard, but VR, that, that, that's, I think, is the only way to give a sense of the experience of a, a circus show at Asile du Soleil, for sure. It's interesting you, you, you put together immersive storytelling the way maybe we practice it here at a studio in Cirque du Soleil practice, and we have done six collaborations together. I think that the language that you speak, the storytelling, mm -hmm. storytelling language you speak at Cirque is very compatible with the way I think I describe uh, the language of how we tell stories, you know, this idea of rituals and yep. sort of like transcending into states of wonder and awareness and abandonment. Like it, it's very like it's a communal language, because if that was not the case, we would have made one project together and that would have been the end of it. I see one thing, Michelle, if you, if, if I, we can just elaborate on, on yep. this subject, because I'm, I'm quite passionate about that specific aspect of how our two worlds kind of intersect. 
I like to say that virtual reality storytelling is not about understanding anything. No. If you want to understand something, you're better off watching the news. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. better off reading the newspaper. You're better off reading a book like or, or watching a nonfiction TV show that will tell you about World War One. you know, what it was about, how it started. And if you want that kind of analytical mind, rational mind engagement, VR is not the right medium mm -hmm. because VR tends to kind of bypass the rationale and hit straight into your reptilian brain, hit straight into your emotion and your capacity to dream and imagine. Like, it goes right to that. And if you try to make VR be a more kind of rational, let me explain you how this works in a didactic way, it's unbearable. You're right. You're, you're sort of in the world and you're like, I don't want to be you're frustrated in this. You don't yeah, want it's that. It's frustrating. It's unbearable. So like, true. you want to throw your, your headset away and say, please stop. Like, show me a TV show, right? But if you speak the right, if you speak the right language, you know, then audiences are just going to fall into the world of the story and they're going to be moved by it deeply. And I find that the same is true to Cirque du Soleil storytelling. So yeah. You know, like you were opening this podcast talking about O. O is a very profound, emotionally effective and transformative show. What is it about? Honestly, I worked on this show. I'm not so sure, but but I felt that I got it, you know, like it felt right. Like it felt like everything was connected the right way. It's a masterpiece, the show. But the, the way that I see it as a masterpiece is how everything is so harmonious and balanced. But if you ask me, what is it about? What's the story? What's the, I don't know how to answer that. And I, I feel like and trying to answer it would be doing disservice to what it is. And you need, you need, but that's, that's super important. But you need to trust the viewer's intelligence, the audience's intelligence, and the, the audience's capacity for imagination and connecting the dots themselves. Tremendous. And it's, and, and because that's also really true to virtual reality. If you want to be, if you want to tell powerful stories through virtual reality, you need to take into consideration that if you're coming at it, trying to connect all the dots as the storyteller, your experience is going to be unbearable for an audience. They're never going to find their place inside of it. Never. And again, when you can't find your place inside of a VR experience, you just want to throw it away. Like it's, it's like a transplantation of a heart that the body rejects. Yes, you know, you're yes. like, I don't want this at all, you know? So it's like, but you don't want that, that, that failed transplant to happen. So you need to understand that you're talking to an audience in a very intimate way. And that audience's capacity as a capacity to imagine to, is, is somebody intelligent, you know, even if they're not artists and they need to be able to make the connections themselves, they need to find their place inside of that, that experience. And I find that that's, yeah. but that's true to, to shows like, oh, where the fact that I can't fully rationalize it, right? When I see that show, when I saw it initially, I felt immersed in it and transported in it because I felt there was so much room for me, you know, even though it was like, sublime and everything was beautiful. I didn't feel excluded from nope, it. I, I felt yep. that I felt a part of it somehow because it was so kind of open-ended that I my my internal capacity for poetic thinking kind of kicked in and I was suddenly a part of the poetic communication of the entire show. And, and I felt strongly about it. And that's why we then, you know, talked about adapting it or transposing it for virtual reality because it spoke the same kind of core language, right? And I would say that you can even turn that in virtual reality into an actual very conscious and deliberate design. Like, for example, The Infinite, uh, which is shown in Montreal yeah. right now, the entire show is relying on the viewer's participation from beginning to end. You're exploring 
a, a 8,000 square foot life-size reproduction of the International Space Station. And you, as you walk through it, you see floating luminous orbs. Each of those orbs contains a cinematic VR scene that was filmed on board the real International Space Station with real life astronauts. Um, and if you step outside of the walls of the International Space Station, you will also see floating orbs and those reveals 3D 360 views of free floating above the Earth that were filmed in the vacuum of space yeah. uh, in virtual reality from the Canadian arm. And, but the, the idea was from the get-go that we would have more content to show more luminous orbs than what audiences will have time to experience in one visit. And we actually have 60 of those and you have time to do 15 maximum 15 if you go at super fast speed, which means that you have a complete freedom to explore this environment in any order you want. And if you go with other people, they will not have the same journey because they will venture away from you and do their own exploration. So basically nothing is predetermined and everything is about how viewer makes the connection, literally, you know? And when they come out of it, they all have had a different experience and they feel empowered by that yeah. because it's unique to them. And when they tell their story, generally people do not say, coming out of the show, do not say, um, there was this astronaut who did this, there was this view, there was this, there was that. They're actually saying, I walked into a space where I saw that person talking to me, that astronaut, and then I stepped outside of the space station and I felt I was floating and I was looking down and everything is at the eye. The recollection is that of a personal experience. It's not the recollection of something you've seen, it's the recollection of something you've lived, you know? It's so interesting the way you phrase it, because I think that's the core of the immersion. Throughout your career, you've explored the concept of presence in immersive experiences. Could you elaborate on how you define presence in this context and why it's so crucial for creating impactful narratives? Presence is something we all know as humans because virtual reality is such a human-centric medium. And I say this not just in terms of the fact that you film somebody or you capture somebody that appears to be really there, but also because you feel your own presence inside of the environment, right? So whether we talk about the other, the protagonist, or the person who's in the experience, the spectator, it's all about each other being or sharing a space and a connection with each other, right? So presence is the science in a way of how you make somebody really transcend into feeling like they're really there and really connected to your story world and to the characters that you're proposing. And to, to understand presence, at least the way we do it, we sort of like look at our own human experience and say, when do I feel present in real life? I feel present when my mind and my body are at the same place. Very often, my body can be, you know, in a room, but I might be thinking of completely something else. I'm thinking of an elephant while, uh, and I just have the images of the elephant, right? While my buddy is at the grocery store waiting in line to pay my groceries, right? My buddy is at one place, my mind somewhere else. But if I switch back to really thinking about where I am, you know, and really feeling what's around me, now I'm fully mind and buddy aligned into a state of presence, mm. right? And when that clicks in, when you are present somewhere, it generally feels like your level of awareness kind of like, boom, inflates a little bit. Like things become clearer, you know? If you're present in a meeting with a lot of people, you know, and you're really there mentally and physically, you're going to start 
understanding what everybody is saying in a deeper way. You're going to start anticipating what people are going to say. You're going to start being more. It's, it's as if your brain was better, you know, when you're present, mm. right? Um, and so, and it's also an idea that's very much present, present in Zen philosophy, right? And meditation. So it's a concept that has been there all over the world forever, right? So we, we like to think that VR is the art of learning how presence works and how to create the conditions inside of a media experience, you know, for presence to grow, for presence to manifest, for presence to happen, mm. you know, and, and that's kind of what we do. So a lot of, a lot of the work we do, honestly, has more to do with that idea of like how to make people feel more and more present than, than it has to do with how to tell a story. Like storytelling is almost, I would say, secondary mm. in what we mm -hmm. do, you mm. know, because you could theoretically create an experience that's just, just, just about presence, which is what we were doing in the early years. You know, we, we, we described the Patrick Watson experience, strangers. There is no storytelling attempt in this. There is no beginning, middle and end. There is no construction in three acts. It's just you in a moment with somebody. That's it. And it's one moment and it's eight minutes long. And there is no sense of narrative progression whatsoever. And people sit inside of that and they are completely there and they're completely connected, picking up on all the subtleties of everything that's happening with the human, with the dog, with the environment. You know, they're overwhelmed with sensations and information, but there is no attempt at storytelling, mm. right? And so presence in and of itself can support and create a very profound experience for, for viewers if you do it well. There are two things that I truly believe in that I try to remind myself all the time two ideas that are really fundamental to, to who I am and how I, I work. The first one is the profound importance of teamwork. I believe that we live in a world that is strangely obsessed by the myth of the individual triumph. You know, I don't know how many articles I have read about tips to become as successful as Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk and whoever, and then you read those articles and they basically tell you that, you know, you have to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and then read seven books a week. And, uh, you know, and, and there's almost like a prescription for greatness. And, and I've always, I have always found that to be extremely strange because I find that what I've accomplished in my journey has not been through doing all these things that are supposed to make you a superhuman. They were accomplished because I worked with the right people at the right time. For me, it has been an experience of finding the right creative collaborators, finding the right partners in, in all of the different endeavors that I've been involved in. Because I find that when you do that, you create not just a brain, you create a super brain, a collective brain made of many people connected together. And I feel like that was already at the beginning of the studio part of our DNA. And then there's another idea that I want to mention, which I think is very important, is don't take art for granted. The sense that I was born in a world where virtual reality storytelling or the virtual reality art form in general just didn't exist. I studied film school and through my studies in arts, I learned about theater, opera, painting, dance, architecture, 
literature and all of the different arts uh, as we have known them for the past hundreds, if not thousands of years. But now comes this new medium that is made possible mainly by the development of a series of technologies. And that is the medium that I've dedicated most of my career and creative energy to. And, and that medium didn't exist before. And now we're looking at artificial intelligence and, and we're trying to wrap our heads around what is it? You know, is it just a tool? Is it something that will enhance us? Is it something that will defeat us? We're trying to kind of like find a position, a posture in front of artificial intelligence. My take on it is that eventually it's going to evolve into many different things, including new forms of art. I do believe that artificial intelligence will lead to new forms of creativity and in the collaboration that it has with humans. And then I look further into the future and I think about, well, eventually maybe we will do telepathy. Maybe we're going to be able to connect to each other's brains and maybe that through that collective neurological experience, we're going to be able to generate worlds. We're going to be able to generate new forms of, of beauty and, and art uh, and grace that we don't even understand today. And so I just, I try to remain humble in regards to the, worlds of, the world of arts in general and, and, and very flexible in regards to the world of arts, which I love so much, and try to remind it, myself that it is going to change and I need to embrace that change all the time. I need to always keep an open mind in regards to new forms of human expression and, and, and open my mind to also how technology can come and disrupt what I know and change, you know, all of those paradigms that, I, that I've evolved into. Uh, and I feel like that, that's something that, that I try to remind myself of and, and share with the people that I work with. Wow. My God, Felix, we could speak for hours. There's so much relevance in, in your your reflections, your philosophy, and I, I hope we seriously uh, get to work with Felix and Paul Studio in, in the near future because it's 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 a, it's a beautiful adventure. We're learning together, and uh, thank yeah. you so much. Uh, I think uh, our audience learned a lot today. So, à la prochaine, uh, and all the best of luck in everything you guys are doing. Um, see you soon. Thank you, Michel. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. All right, my friend. Bye-bye. To the listeners, I want to thank you for your presence. Join us for each episode as we delve into the themes and ideas that underpin Sigdusalai's shows. Learn more about the roots of creativity and how to keep your eyes, mind, and heart open to new sources of creative inspiration. And remember, it can come from anywhere and anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Sit to Sound. I am Michel Lapis. À la prochaine. Sit to Sound is produced by Sit du Soleil with technical and story production by Jar Audio.
If you like what you heard today on Cirque du Sound, please subscribe, comment, and leave a review. 